Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. And you're listening to the DCAU Review, hosted by Cal and Liam, streaming at DCAUReview.com and on your favorite podcast app. were committed by law-abiding citizens. They all have seen nightmare visions beforehand. The same pattern is repeating around the world, so there could be an overriding paranormal element. Are you talking about magic? Then we have to find John Constantine. It's a dream team. You, me, Zatanna, Batman, maybe even a Justice League. Let's take a walk on the dark side then. Swamp Thing! You dare threaten the green. Draga Malefic. Draga Malefic. Let's do this. Fuck it off. Your life is a patchwork of blackness with no time for joy. How do you cope with it? I have a butler. Welcome, everyone, to the DCAU Review. This is episode 160. I am Liam, and with me, as he always is, is Cal. Cal, I can't believe we're already at the end of our month of magic. That's right, Magic May is drawing to a close, and what a magical month it has been, Liam. Uh, as uh, If you're joining us here for the first time, or maybe you haven't listened to the last couple, we decided to highlight our month of magic, Magic May, uh, by talking about a bunch of the DCAU's uh, magical characters, our, our more mystical themed characters. We've covered a lot of Zatanna, we've covered Dr. Fate, uh, we've covered uh, Cer- Circe, we've had uh, Solomon Grundy, we've had lots of different magical elements introduced here, heroes and villains, and we are wrapping it up, Liam, with a trip around the multiverse. That's right, we're headed to uh, the Elseworlds, that is where we've landed, and uh, we are excited to talk about a universe we have yet to discuss in our prior 159 episodes, but has quite the large following excited to delve into what has been known as the DC animated movie universe there's an extra letter in there the dcamu uh also known as uh we like to call it endearingly the tuckerverse that's right uh we are in fact talking about justice league dark as our finale here that is part of the sort of joined continuity uh direct to dvd movies that dc and warner brothers animation have been putting out over the past 
five or six years, this universe actually kind of recently, at least for now, came to something of an end with the Apocalypse War film that was kind of their big Endgame-style finale. But uh, we are not talking about the end today. We are talking about sort of one that kind of falls into the middle. But uh, as we'll get into once we discuss it, it works very well as a standalone movie as well as sort of being. It is obviously there's very obvious connections to this sort of larger animated world, but it very much, uh, I think, is a good jumping on point for, for newer fans. If you happen to miss Justice League War or Batman and Son or some of these other uh, animated movies set in the same universe, uh, this is a uh, pretty good, fun jumping on point and also does a, a nice little job of introducing you to some of the maybe lesser known uh, magical characters in the in the DC lexicon. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, full full disclosure here. I'm pretty sure the only movie from this sort of universe which we were talking about before we even went on the air, which is only loosely maybe connected to the universe, is the Flashpoint mm-hmm. uh, movie. Uh, different voice actors, I believe, but there's certain elements that are later on referenced uh, in this uh, in this universe. But uh, I I had not seen uh, many or any of the other movies attached to this direct universe, so. Uh, I didn't feel lost. I didn't feel like I had missed anything. I don't think I had to ask you a bunch of questions, uh, <laughs> you having seen several of the other movies. Uh, so I didn't feel lost at all. And uh, it, it's it's a nice little showcase, as you mentioned, for some of these more magical characters. Uh, I'm excited to kind of break it down. We do talk about uh, Zatanna. We get Swamp Thing, uh, with the demon Etrigan. And Jason Blood, uh, Felix mm-hmm. Faust makes an appearance, Dr. Destiny is here, but really, it's very, very much a John Constantine movie. Constantine, of course, who uh, has certainly gained in popularity over the last probably five to seven years. He, uh, There was the almost forgotten Keanu Reeves <laughs> movie, I believe, uh, th- that featured him playing... Uh, John Constantine, but uh, I feel like Constantine really came to popularity once uh, one Matt Ryan, uh, not that Matt Ryan, not the quarterback uh, for the American football team, no, the the actor Matt Ryan uh, took on the helm of Constantine in the very short-lived yet uh, very much loved NBC Constantine show, which was later on rolled into the Arrowverse or Berlantiverse or whatever you want to call it. Uh, later, that was kind of brought into that continuity. And interestingly enough, we get Mr. Ryan uh, reprising his role as Constantine here in the voice acting section, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But Liam, uh, before we do that, we might as well do what we do each and every week, which is give the listeners at home a brief synopsis Uh, And that is the IMDb Internet Movie Database synopsis. Uh, This movie was originally released, as we mentioned, on uh, Direct-to-Video, also known as DVD and Blu-ray, back on February the 7th, 2017. That's right, and this is for the film Justice League Dark, which was written by J.M. DeMatteis and Ernie Altbacker, directed by J. Olivia, Music by Robert J. Crawl and animation by D.R. Movico. And that synopsis reads as such. Beings with supernatural powers join together to fight against supernatural villains. This team of supernatural beings includes John Constantine, Zatanna, and Jason Blood, also known as the Demon Etrigan. All right. Um... That, that's a fine it's it's, it's all right that's a c it's a c yeah 
so I guess we can jump into our plot here, Liam. We are introduced uh, at the very beginning. Uh, we don't actually feature any of the, the characters uh, we, we end up kind of following throughout. Uh, we get uh, a scene in various different across various different uh, populated cities where uh, these uh, citizens are suddenly starting to see these demonic presences. Uh, one one of them is a, a young lady who's driving a car. She starts mowing them down with her car, uh, and then uh, Wonder Woman saves the day and is able to uh, prevent her from running anyone else down. As as we realize that only. Her only she is the one who is seeing these quote-unquote demons populate. Uh, we then flash to another gentleman who is uh, about to uh, apparently uh, execute his family, uh, his, his wife and kids, mm -hmm. uh, because he also sees them as demons. Superman saves the day and prevents him from doing so. And then they go out to a barn where they see that he has already murdered several people in a very heinous ways yeah we uh, we will mention here if, if you're newer to this universe most of these movies are rated uh, pg-13 or in this movie's case are uh, very violent very gory and some language so if you're if this might not be one to watch with your younger children agreed for uh sure. But uh, but yeah, they the advantages of that if you are uh, an older an older fan is that yes they are they do not shy away from the gore and they do not shy away from the very dark subject matter in the start of this episode as as you mentioned the woman mowing down people in her car this sort of crazed man who has uh, already executed several of his neighbors and. And then we go to Gotham City, where we see a woman about to drop her infant child off of a building because she sees the child as the Antichrist. Let me help you. It's not my fault. I've given birth to the devil. It's the devil. You're tired. Give me the baby. You don't want to hurt her. of course batman has to spring into action to save her so they we then kind of go to a, a justice league meeting where we have uh some of the uh, the regular leaguers who have appeared in uh, in previous films as well as i think some new ones with hawkman martian manhunter and instead of uh instead of hal jordan green lantern we actually have john stewart which is always welcome for us as a you know big fans of that character Hashtag from my green lantern that's right from that from the dcau proper as well as the comics so Cool to see that uh, that insert here, but uh, they're sort of all discussing, all having similar uh, encounters with people claiming to have seen these wild demons, and of course Batman, ever the skeptic, despite as uh, as Wonder Woman points out, they've already faced off against things like 
uh, Trigon and other demonic and magical forces by this point. They, uh, he's still not quite sure. These crimes were committed by law-abiding citizens. They all claimed to have seen nightmare visions beforehand. Any clue what's causing it? No idea. <sighs> the one week I fell in for Jordan, and it couldn't be some hairy-ass monster? The same pattern is repeating around the world. So there could be an overriding factor, perhaps a paranormal element. Are you talking about magic? We've come up against magic before, Batman. Cersei, Trigon, Felix Faust. Even Shazam's powers are based in magic. With as much as you've seen, can you rule it out? The criminally insane don't need magic as an excuse. I recommend spending more time on the streets instead of flying over them. He's even friendlier than they say. That is, of course, until he is uh, shaving and happens to see the word Constantine written in his mirror and then sort of appearing in some sort of fiery text uh, all around him. And then he sort of uh, gets on board with the magic. And that is sort of our... Batman's sort of our man on the ground. It's kind of weird to think of Batman as like an entry point or a, <laughs> or a POV for the audience because he's such a you know dramatic and, and, and cool and, and often... Often he is the star of whatever he's in, uh, intends to pull focus, but he's really sort of our, our regular man on the ground here, uh, reacting in, in various ways to all of this uh, sort of outlandish and over-the-top magical action that we get from here as we see him go and uh, meet with Zatanna, who then uh, introduces him to, as you mentioned, Cal, kind of the main star of, uh, of the whole piece, which is, of course, John Constantine. And I neglected to mention one of the other magical beings that we get to, do, to introduce to uh, is Boston Brand, the dead man. That's uh, right. So uh, he also is brought in a little bit for, I think, for comic relief to kind of lighten the mood a little mm -hmm. bit. Uh, there is some comedic undertones throughout this, uh, this movie that does uh, a good job of balancing the seriousness and the and the comic bookiness with a little bit of humor. Um, so Boston Brand is introduced as well into this interaction with Zatanna. Um, we are then actually introduced uh, to John Constantine, who is playing poker uh, with uh, one Jason Blood, also known as uh, the <laughs> one, the other half of the demon Etrigan, and uh, a p trio of demons who you were quick to... Quick to guess that were uh, the Demons Three, which are a, a another set of DC characters, sort of a little Easter egg there uh, for you if you're paying close enough attention. So the Demons Three, and uh, they're both both Constantine and the Demons are attempting to cheat. Uh, Constantine ends up putting up uh, the House of Mystery, uh, which is its own sort of Easter egg that has been written into the DC uh, continuity. Uh, House of Mystery, as we learned, Liam, was actually the name of the uh, series that first introduced Swamp Thing uh, to mm -hmm. the DC continuity. Uh, was where he made his first appearance. Uh, so they sort of have made that House of Mystery uh, the place where Constantine resides. It's a place that sort of moves around and doesn't have one stationary place. Uh, so Batman, Zatanna, and Boston Brand, a.k.a. Deadman, are all out uh, attempting to locate where this, uh, just where the House of Mystery could be so they can get in touch with, with, uh, with Constantine. Uh, in the meantime, they are sort of, there's an attack that's set upon them in the form of a tornado. Uh, they escape that, and uh, we're kind of off to the races at that point as 
uh, Batman uh, sort of enlists Constantine at this point uh, to try and help kind of solve the mystery as to what exactly is going on here. Uh, through this, we sort of get some more backstory. We get the backstory of Boston Brand and how he became Dead Man mm -hmm. in that sequence. We also are introduced to what is essentially the Jarvis for the House of Mystery, <laughs> uh, and that being this uh, female persona known as Orchid, <laughs> not Lotus, Orchid. Uh, knew it was a flower name, uh, Orchid. <laughs> Uh, she is the lady of the house, and uh, she is the sort of personification of the magic that resides there. And uh, there's some uh, some description as to how she is desi desired to experience human form, so she's created this human form for herself. So there's more to go there, and there's some budding romance and some eyes being made between her and Dead Man. Uh, it's interesting, though, because she kind of walks around and gives a, a, a summation of each character uh, that's there visiting Zatanna, she mentions, still has feelings uh, for John mm -hmm. Constantine, uh, which she sort of downplays and, and, and tries not to acknowledge. And then she goes to Batman and talks about his pain and how uh, he experiences nothing but darkness and has no time in his life for light and doesn't quite understand how he could deal with this. And he <laughs> has a pretty funny retort. <laughs> He says, I have a butler. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is pretty great. Yeah, Batman there's a lot of very dry, uh, dry humor here. It's a lot of uh, a lot of Batman sort of re reacting to all of this ridiculousness around him as they sort of continually are introduced to these varying magical creatures from these sort of representations of death, these sort of grim reaper types that are uh, seemingly attempting to claim the life of uh this old friend of Constantine and Zatanna's uh, named Richie, who has uh, sort of been in some way screwed over by Constantine. They don't go into a lot of direct detail over that event, but that basically that it was a, it was Constantine's idea and that he ended up having some form of, as he refers to it, magical cancer that, uh, that is, uh, that has accosted him. And he sort of sets, helps set them on a, on a path and they, they end up going to a hospital to sort of, try to find uh, some some more uh, more evidence as to what's going on they go into the mind of this this catatonic man and and sort of begin to uh, discover things and that's sort of where we get our next call to action while dead man and batman are dealing with a, a monster made of feces that's right <laughs> a poop demon that's right <laughs> for lack of a better term it it, it emer it's a big brown mushy thing that emerges from a toilet i don't know what else you would call it and it was conjured up uh by this mysterious person that we find out later on the purpose for why they were doing so uh in the meantime we find out richie is on his deathbed as you mentioned and uh, Batman and Zatanna have to sort of rescue him and keep him keep these uh, Grim Reapers at bay. There is some interesting dialogue between the Grim Reapers and Batman as they talk about how yeah. uh, he's avoided their snare very often and they're excited to claim his soul at some point. Oh no. He's dying. John Constantine, purveyor of the dark arts and lifeline of last resort. No matter, your friend's soul will be collected, and there's nothing you can do to alter that. Why don't you go do something useful, like haunt a house? Who's he talking to now? Shrouds, 
They deliver souls to hell. They're drawn to you. Or maybe it's a cologne, Batsy. This one has cheated us many times. It is vexing. Boo. Uh, this has been lovely. But it's time for you lot to bugger off. When the time comes, I'll be the one to collect your soul, Constantine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a witty repartee between the two of them. Uh, but so uh, all of this, and, and they kind of discover that uh, there's some backstory that's played up between Jason. We learn uh, how this version of Jason Blood became uh, sort of paired with the demon. There was a battle that occurred, not unlike what we saw uh, in the archives at DCAUreview.com and the DCAU's version of Jason, but instead mm -hmm. of a romance angle happening this time is the reason why Jason became the demon. Uh, there was simply a battle that was happening where he was one of Merlin's soldiers, uh, and the uh, villain, the person on the opposition this time, is uh, someone known as Destiny. Uh, I guess he didn't have his PhD quite yet, <laughs> uh, so no doctor, but uh, certainly representation of uh, Dr. Destiny, who we've also seen in the D this DCAU proper. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, through this battle, Jason loses his life. Merlin calls upon the demon Etrigan, promising him his freedom uh, to no longer be enslaved by Merlin if he beat, defeats him. However, uh, Merlin kind of pulls an okey-doke at the end in order to reward Jason for his loyalty and save his life. He pairs the two of them together. And uh, at that point, uh, we kind of get the full backstory of this, this version of uh, Etrigan and, and Jason Blood. Yeah, it, so it, it is interesting, as we mentioned, they kind of go around for, for some of these different characters that we're being introduced to, and we get, we like you said, we have the, the Dead Man origin, we get a flashback to him being a trapeze artist, and his murder, as, as, as well as you mentioned, the, uh, the Etrigan one. The Etrigan one, obviously, a bit more important, because it deals with sort of who our, our main villain ends up being in this, in this reveal that... Uh, uh, we have a few a few more twists and turns before then as well. While they're in this uh, catatonic man's brain, Constantine sees a glimpse of a of a ring of a, a hand that has a specific ring on the finger, and they realize that that must belong to Felix Faust, and he's kind of our big red herring villain uh, that uh, the, that these uh, Justice League Dark goes to confront with a little help from, as you mentioned, the debuting uh, Doctor Alec Holland, aka Swamp Thing. And uh, he does a little bit more than he does in the Batman versus Harley Quinn movie. He's a little bit more active in this one. <laughs> Just slightly more. Not a whole lot. No, no, he doesn't. He's not that much more helpful, but he does try a little harder. John Constantine. You dare threaten the green. Dude, your social skills are horrendous. Please, we aren't here to harm any plants, but our need is urgent. Don't let your feelings for John stop you from doing what's right. You have a garden. Yes, I find it relaxing, and I water it every week. 
We need to find a man, a wizard, named Felix Faust. A single human among your teeming masses. I only know John Constantine because he enrages me. Faust lives in an observatory which is invisible. It's a place where dark magic would infect the earth below it. I will take you there, so you are no longer here. But uh, basically, they uh, they introduce the character. They establish already, as with most magical characters in this uh, in this film. He has history with John Constantine and hates his guts. <laughs> There's uh, a running theme that goes throughout yes. this thread, and that is nobody likes Constantine. Yes, that's right. And that's uh, that's actually something that I, I feel isn't necessarily paid off as well in this film. Now, there is a, in the, as we mentioned, the Apocalypse War movie also focuses on Constantine. Um, but it feels like there's a lot of, Constantine has screwed over all of his friends, and so it feels like, and we'll get to the the finale of the movie, but it feels like we're building up to he needs to be the one to make the heroic sacrifice Mm -hmm. to sort of redeem himself, and he doesn't do that in this movie. Correct. Which feel, and again, it, it, but again, we're judging this in a vacuum here. That's right. right. We're not watching all eighteen movies right now. (laughs) We're just watching this one movie. And again, it's it's, and I don't I don't think it's, and we'll we'll get to our scores in a little bit here. But yes, we find out that Felix Faust is not really involved, just that he was sort of in possession of this magical dream stone that Destiny once drew uh, drew power from, but that he is actually not our big bad, and in fact, it is Constantine's old sickly friend Richie, who has sort of made a deal and been possessed by this Destiny. Uh, character who's sort of become more of like a demonic wizard uh, force, and uh, after after sort of combining these two pieces of the stone, is reborn in uh, in Richie's body and sort of is unleashed. And that's sort of our our final act as we get our big battle at the end. Is uh, is he unleashes chaos? He makes everyone in the entire city. I, I don't know if they say it's gotham or metropolis or where exactly they are but i think it seemed to be it, it looked very Times squarish in one scene so i mm-hmm. figured it was gotham okay yeah so it, it, they and they may they flash some different locations so i may have just missed it but but yeah they so we see like people just battling each other we see you know a cop uh backing up from all everywhere. the demons yeah people shooting each other people punching each other we see like an office building full of people just wailing on each other so everyone's gone go, beginning to go crazy and then unfortunately includes uh green lantern superman and wonder woman who arrive to help but are sort of immediately also driven crazy by destiny and so it really does become down to the the traditional justice league is in fact not not apt to handle this and so it is up to our, our magical heroes and, to a lesser extent, Batman to kind of finally stop this guy once and for all. And what I liked about it is despite... So the it's interesting, the artwork for this... Uh, the cover art for this this direct-to-video mm. has Batman very prominent yes. at the front. Uh, he's in little, front, and Constantine is sort of hanging out in the background. A which, little bit of a security blanket. Right. It will make you think that, oh, this is a Batman movie, which... I was a little bit afraid that it might turn out to be because mm-hmm. a lot of these, uh, a, a lot of a lot of the older cartoons like that, you would be afraid to put some, you know, a, a make a cartoon movie about something that wasn't 
wasn't one of your big three, mm-hmm. maybe, uh, or maybe even your big two before yeah. pe- they had the trust that Wonder people actually liked Wonder Woman or knew who Wonder Woman was. Mm-hmm. Uh, so having Batman be so prominently on the front of this is a little bit of a marketing move, I'm sure, to get people to buy it. But I did appreciate the actual movie not relying. Batman is sort of in the culmination of this. So back in the in the fight with Felix Faust, uh, uh, Zatanna comes very close to kind of tipping the edge and being and going to the essentially what would be the dark side of magic chaos magic chaos magic yes exactly she she almost kills felix faust and uh at the very last second uh she she's convinced by constantine not to get control z just like i taught you easy peasy lemon squeezy deep breaths let it go love control is all happens to the best of us you've seen me in action right (laughs) yeah once or twice that's to me that's the only spot that i felt like he was a little bit redemptive in this and that is that he says he uses himself as example to not go that far to Mm -hmm. not go as far as him it's almost that you're not you're too good for this. You shouldn't be tainted yeah. by this type of, of magic and killing and spilling of blood. Um, so, But through that, she sort of has this draining. She's drained of her powers uh, in the very next scene where she comes into contact with Destiny. Uh, so she's sort of out of commission uh, for a moment at least. And then when Batman comes face to face with the members of the Justice League that have arrived to try and stop Destiny... Uh, she swoops in and sa- kind of saves Batman. She's able to use magic to tie Wonder Woman up with her own lasso, and Batman is able to slip off the Green Lantern's ring, mm-hmm. and uh, then she's able to free Superman. Uh, so we're able to see that she actually kind of saves Batman's bacon in a way here. Mm-hmm. From from so Batman himself kind of needed some saving, but then the real culmination comes from uh, Constantine and Deadman working together. They. Uh, Destiny is sort of flying around with this spherical uh, uh, magic, what do we call it, a, a glyph, a magic yes. glyph ball around him uh, that prevents anybody from kind of touching him, even after uh, Dead Man has taunted him and saying that he's referring to himself as a god, but gods don't need shields. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he figures out that or they figure out that if, if Boston sort of possesses Constantine for a second and is able to mm-hmm. taunt Destiny enough to bring him inside this glyph, uh, then Deadman can then switch and try and possess Destiny at that point, which is ultimately what happens, uh, which distracts him and weakens him enough to the point where they're able to bring him down. Jason Blood, who in the battle has actually been separated from the mm-hmm. demon Etrigan, so there are two entities at that point, jams a sword right through Destiny's chest, killing him, mm-hmm. uh, and then reverting him back to Richie, who... Finally gets his come up and says, uh, this time the Justice League Dark decides not to save him from the Grim Reapers. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so I do like that ending that you mentioned of of Constantine and 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 Dead Man sort of outsmarting Destiny because they sort of set up both with Etrigan 
and then with Swamp Thing returns and, and has a, a battle with Destiny where it's just going to feel like it's going to be that MacGuffin where the big powerful guy is going to come from off screen and solve everybody's problems, right. which I think would go in the face of this being a team movie. Right. So I like the idea that they, you know, they have those moments of cool superhero or, or you know, anti-hero uh, action, but in the end it's proved that really there isn't a brute force approach that can stop this destiny. He's so powerful and can, you know, reach into your mind and pull out he he sort of pulls out uh Swamp Thing's humanity, this sort of innate desire that the the spirit of Alec Holland has to return to being human. He doesn't really want to be this agent for the green. He really just all he wants is to really just be returned to his old life. So he kinda uses that against him and as you mentioned to sort of uh, slay the demon, so to speak. He's able to separate him from Jason Blood uh, totally. So I like the idea that all of the big guns, both our traditional superheroes like Wonder Woman and Superman and our sort of magical big guns with Swamp Thing and the demon aren't able to just sort of punch him punch him down. Yes, like they, have sure. to, they have to use some uh, some some teamwork and some some ingenuity there. So I do like that as sort of the finale but yeah as, as we mentioned the the big heroic sacrifice at the end really is is jason blood who without no longer being bonded to etrigan sort of succumbs to those wounds that he had suffered back in the in the middle ages and and sort of finally is is re is sort of sent to rest in peace and uh that's that's sort of our our, our epilogue there is uh, we we do get kind of a nice touching uh eulogy from etrigan to to Jason Blood, who, you know, he sort of saw as a, even though they were forced to be bonded together, they kind of came to see each other as brothers more than sort of this curse. For 500 years, he and I have been bound. A demon from hell, a knight of renown. Though we were cursed to be slaves to each other, I know of no man I'd want more for a brother. Farewell, mortal. Couldn't have picked a better place. The village where he was born was over there. Too bad it took this to get him home. Um, and then we get a little bit more of, of Constantine and Zatanna. Zatanna mentions that she's been invited to be an official member of the Justice League and that Batman is is interested in Constantine joining as well. And I guess that's sort of his his true redemption there. Sure. Is that rather than sort of, you know, brushing her off and going off on his on his own again, he sort of seems a little bit more open to to working with a team full time and to maybe sort of rekindling this romance that they had had in in uh, in another life. So that's I guess that's sort of the the he's changed moment more than that's a fair, traditional yeah. heroic, you know, sacrificing his life or whatever. So yeah, but uh, yeah, all things considered, I think we can start to get into our our plot scores here. Uh, like I said, I think this uh, this movie is really really solid. It does a very good job of juggling all of these unique characters you get the backstory of the ones you need and the ones that you don't necessarily do a full origin for i think they they still do a pretty good job of establishing who they are very quickly it moves it doesn't feel like it drags but it doesn't necessarily feel like overstuffed or that it's moving too fast uh, either so for all those reasons i gave plot a pretty strong eight out of ten nice um 
not not to bring out the not going to bring out the disagreement alarm for this but the only thing i will say which uh kind of goes against a little bit of what you just said is i do feel the detriment to this is that it does at times uh feel a little bit much there's a lot in it it's an Mm. hour and 15 minute movie so uh it's not you know it's not two hours it's not a full-length feature film we have going on here right but there there are a lot of characters in this movie a lot and it and it does jump around a lot um i think for the most part it does a really great job in handling it and making it cohesive and making it not feel but i wonder if you know was the was the first swamp thing was swamp thing necessary for this movie or yeah. you just wanted to bring him in because swamp thing's cool and he's <laughs> i guess is he is he a standard member of the justice league dark so this is vaguely based at least in like the roster i think on the justice league dark new 52 series okay um which a lot of the character designs are also based on from from that era of comics um which that team did feature Swamp Thing, Zatanna, Dead Man. I think Constantine was in. I don't know if he was an official member, but he was involved in the series. And, sure. Uh, yeah. So that it is definitely influenced as part of that, and I think that that's sort of one of those classic pairings, also from sure. the the sort of heyday of of the Vertigo Hellblazer series uh-huh. uh, of Constantine and Swamp Thing being something of a pair that that interacted quite a bit so but i do think yeah maybe if i think you can make an argument that if if it focused more on just maybe zatanna and constantine with knowing that you still had the etrigan stuff and you still had to introduce this richie character and you still had to have the regular justice league in it for a bit as well maybe you i think you can make an argument that yeah, that, that was the only thing that seemed a little superfluous to me was just having – he kind of comes – and I don't know, is does he return? Do we get more Swamp Thing later on in the in the other He movies? does appear, but he's not a main character in any of these other films. So, uh, you know, if you didn't – if they didn't pay it off very much, there was no – you know, not a lot of follow-up that occurred to the character itself, like, you know – what what he was feeling after this this moment of him realizing that his true desire is not to be this defender of the green but you know he mm-hmm. no he wants to be he or guardian of the green he wants to be he wants to be human again it's not really paid off it, to me it wasn't really essential to the story and added you know a few minutes that in the bat, the heat of that battle, that final battle was fine, but the the detour that they take to go visit him just seemed like, oh look, it's Swamp <laughs> Thing. He's here too, and guess what? He also doesn't like Constantine. Yeah. Well, yeah, they use him as the MacGuffin to find Felix Faust. Right. But it feels like you have all these magical characters. You could have had one of them do a spell, or you could have sure. had, you know, Orchid, as you mentioned, this sort of weird fish woman who's a embodiment of the magic maybe she could have somehow you know located him or she seemed very underused too it was interesting that they introduced her at the beginning there's sort of this winking between her and dead man and then there's a little bit more uh, interaction between her and constantine later on where he makes her uh, take care of richie as he's dying she sort of pushes back and says that's not her that's not what she's called to do or what her uh, you know what her 
purpose is and mm -hmm. uh so there's some clashing there between the two of them but that itself also is not really paid off because at the end even though she pays the price it looks like she has to <laughs> you think that maybe she's died she's walks well, into a fireplace her physical form, her physical form is yeah right but but then at the end she's just there again so there's not really uh not really a payoff for that anyway that's nitpicking it's it's not a bad movie the plot i think is easy to follow like we mm. said at the beginning for somebody who had not seen any of the other movies who was coming into this fresh who doesn't know a ton about Con i mean like i know enough about constantine to know the character but mm -hmm. if you don't know a lot about constantine or you don't know uh you know you don't have a lot of strong familiarity with some of these other darker magical mystical characters it's a good introduction to that and it's fun mm -hmm. it's a fun movie uh so for that i just want to take lower i went seven out of ten for my plot there you go and that will move us on to visuals and animation here cal uh this is i think where the movie really shines um it is uh, i there are some stuff i am not a huge fan of mostly in the character design sure which i don't blame the people working on these because it seems to me that it was a directive to use sort of what the modern at the time were the modern designs for them from the comics uh in in these films um and again i think i would maybe even have more to say but because the characters whose designs i like the least uh which are superman and wonder woman are in this very little i don't have as much to complain about with the with with the designs i'm not a huge fan of the, the zatanna costume either it's just very it's very bland to me it's just she just has like a white kind of corset bustier it's not very functional i'm just yeah, gonna she say doesn't that have, she doesn't have a she doesn't have the top hat she doesn't have it doesn't it just doesn't feel very much like uh a zatanna to me it i would have gone like, with if you're gonna go with a, a d design that's not you know tails and mm -hmm. uh and your fishnets. your fishnets then i would go with that like weird late 90s early 2000s sort of like the cape mystical cape and, yeah yeah where she kind of looks like an alien princess or something like, mm -hmm. i would have gone with that look if, yeah um i i really don't like the batman look to be honest his ears <laughs> like swoop back but they're on the front part of his head they look it looks like his cow it looks like he bought a costume like a batman costume at party city for like 38 dollars, <laughs> and like the ears don't stand up so they're mm -hmm. just kind of like floppy over i not a fan of the way that that looks yeah there's a side profile shot or two that's like uh that's really uh looks real weird but uh but yeah, I mean the the rest of them, I like I do like the Etrigan design. On the other hand, it's I mean it's pretty much classic. There's not a lot to change I think with that character without but uh you know he he has a bit more imposing size. The the sort of regular DCAU version is seen seemed to sort of be at least in Justice League sort of be a more stout and kind of diminutive character. Sure. Um this one has a great has a great size and mass and feels much more powerful than he's got a little bit more medieval i feel like mm -hmm. uh, influence also in the way that he looks coming directly from that medieval uh era that <clears throat> that uh the time of merlin the knights and mm -hmm. all that so i feel like it fits fits in with that that time the middle ages yeah yeah the 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 sword i think is a good addition and then yeah he has sort of this long hooded flowing cape and 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 the 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 red costume that he's wears seems more like built to be armor than For it sure. is like a 
just like a red spandex suit that maybe he has another version so yeah i like i like that etrigan design the constantine design is pretty much straight out of the comics it's a blonde guy with a little bit of facial hair and a, and a trench coat so no cigarettes though no, no. i don't they... i don't know if that's a a no-no <laughs> i mean again this is rated r i would think they'd be able to, to put at least one or two in but he does uh... use a match at one point so there's some mm-hmm. intimation there that he's he's uh he uses uh, tobacco but yeah but uh, yeah, I, other than that, like the the demons uh, that they that they first meet, as you mentioned in the in the poker scene at the beginning, and then sort of come back in their more sort of monstrous forms to fight uh, to fight them. And Felix Faust's lair is uh, are, are fun. Um, and then, but I think I think where this shines is maybe in the animation itself. Um, there's some really tremendous scenes. You mentioned there's a scene where Zatanna sort of begins to lose control and. And becomes sort of ultra powerful as she's battling Faust. And there's some really cool sort of sweeping uh, where it kind of looks like one continuous shot. And they sort of follow her and she kind of flies up and then she's upside down. And the camera kind of turns upside down with her and then turns back around. And it's it's very fluid and and, uh, and definitely feels like a, it definitely has some of that Eastern animation, you know, Dragon Ball Z type of of element to those those big kind of powerful fights and these big sweeping flying shots yeah it's very cinematic um the direction uh on this uh was done very very well um you know and the storyboarding i know uh, one of the names i recognized uh, was uh, sam liu who mm-hmm. of course has done a lot of stuff in in dc animation um the animation style itself as far as the artistry definitely has that more eastern animation anime-esque look to it very much like the young justice uh Mm -hmm. animation style uh which of course we have reviewed one of those episodes you can check that out in the archives at dcaureview.com check under our elseworlds uh section for that uh but yeah I, i think i think the character designs themselves i loved that when the characters showed up on the screen, some of the guys like when destiny shows up on the screen, it was very obvious. Oh, that's, that's Dr. Destiny. Right. But it was its own unique version for this animated universe. He still had the big purple cloak. He had the gray skin, mm-hmm. but it was his, it was this version of that. Uh, when we saw Felix Faust pop up, uh, it's clearly Felix Faust. You can tell the purple robes, the, you know, the, the long sort of middle eastern garb that he's mm-hmm. wearing the headdress the headdress yeah. yeah absolutely uh but it's its own version this version has a long mustache and mm-hmm. uh so as you said it's it's taking direct influence i guess from that new 52 design which i know a lot of people did not <laughs> love the new 52 costumes uh you know you already mentioned superman the no underpants on the outside, and the <laughs> I think you mentioned this time the collar, uh, the up yeah, to everybody the... had collars, and I don't. I think the idea was to give them something of a uniform look, because you know for these these seven Justice Leaguers, but one most of them are already in those suits, like when they meet in the first right. volume of the comic or in the first movie. So it's it's like like they just all happen to like. Like these weird, very specific sort of collars with the little V cut out in sure. the in the neck, like I don't know. It's just there's stuff, and I also think the color palette is very like the blues are very very dark blue. So I think it's okay, and I think we see this in something like the live action Wonder Woman uh, movie, mm-hmm. where it's a generally a very muted color palette. But then when she pulls out that lasso, mm-hmm. it's so it pops so well mm-hmm. because it's this bright golden yellow 
shining through in this sort of very muted world. And I don't, I think that well, that would be fine if maybe the superheroes, and actually I think it's something that works for Dead Man because they go with, sure. rather than maybe going with a darker red, they actually go with a pretty bright red for his suit. So yeah. I think he kind of pops Absolutely. in a lot of scenes. Um, but yeah, I think that's, that's also part of it. And again, I think it works to an extent for this story because it's moody and mystical and there's all these you know, demons and monsters and all this stuff. So I think it works better for this film than maybe it would for a traditional Justice League film. And perhaps we'll review one of those uh, somewhere down the line and, and we'll see if, if that affects our scores here. But uh, like I said, overall, I think the, the strength of it beyond maybe some character designs that I didn't like is definitely in the direction, in the animation itself and, and a lot of the battle scenes. And uh, for for all those reasons, I, I still came with a pretty strong visual score of 8 out of 10. Nice. Uh, yeah, I gave it the same exact score, also <laughs> an 8 out of 10. I will say that uh, some of the demon designs are very, very terrifying, mm-hmm. uh, very grotesque looking. The infant one, I think, Oof. at the beginning. It's got like it's the got, eyeball in the mouth. It's got eyeballs. Where its eye sockets are, there's horns coming out. There's an eyeball in its mouth. Uh, yeah. All of the demons are very grotesque and disgusting looking. So, uh, yeah, spot on with some of those. Uh, even the poop demon, the aforementioned poop <laughs> demon, quite terrifying. I would hate for, to see that thing rumbling towards <laughs> me at any point. Yeah, that, that sequence of and Dead Man sort of jumping from person to person to try to help uh, Batman deal with it. I think it's a that's definitely a very tense sequence, especially because it's also sort of about to envelop this coma patient that uh, Zatanna and Constantine are in the mind of. So there's kind of a good, like, frantic pace to that action sequence. Agreed. And then the last thing I'll mention is uh, is something that I feel like I was trying to figure out which came first, the chick- uh, chicken or the egg in this, and that is the uh, <laughs> sort of the visualization, the decision to use the visualization of magic for the most part in this uh, were those glyphs, which were, if you've seen Doctor Strange, uh, is a very similar similar uh, way that they chose to show his powers manifest in the marvel cinematic universe um you know these these sort of cgi brightened symbols and circles and they sort of pop out of uh the character's hands as they're sort of using the magic Mm -hmm. we see that with felix faust we see that also with constantine we see that again that sort of uh uh, ball of protection that's around destiny the shield of protection in that final scene uh, we even see some of it manifest in the way that uh, that zatanna uses her her magic so that's sort of another thing that pops off of the screen because you said that the color palette is so muted throughout uh, so that when these bright neon-esque they look like neon signs almost mm-hmm. uh where these this magic sort of manifests it's done very well i greatly appreciated that because uh, a lot of times it's just magic will be manifested as sort of wispy windy sparkles or something like that that's coming out of a wand or something mm-hmm. like that in animation so mm-hmm. the fact that this is we've gotten to the point now where you're able to use cgi even and the cgi doesn't look so far out of place it kind of fits in uh for the most part uh and there's there is a lot of cgi that's used in this in that tornado scene we see uh the batmobile which mm-hmm. i commented to you reminded me a little bit of the batman brave and the bold batmobile as yes. far as style which uh both obviously uh involved uh there, mm-hmm. james tucker uh so probably no coincidence there but uh there's this you know there's a lot of cgi that's used in that sequence also but it didn't feel out of place it didn't feel old it's kind of mixed in very well and cell shaded over so very strong uh with the visuals for this for sure despite maybe not loving 
uh, all of the the choices for costumes <laughs> or or even the animation style itself being our favorite. For sure, for sure. Uh, and that will move us on to our third category here, which is music. Uh, it is there are some interesting choices made with the music, and I do I do think it stands out. Um, even the traditional orchestral music that is used. Uh, certainly in ironically I think some of the best music is in the scene where they're fighting the poop monster <laughs> like there's some really good ominous and dramatic music during uh, during that whole sequence as uh, as well as the final battle but uh, I think the the maybe the most striking might be the music that plays over the opening credits that's right and it seems to be the theme that uh, they play it again later on sort mm-hmm. of to wrap up the movie they play it in the middle of the movie also and that is, uh, that's right, Liam, the return of the hammer dulcimer, my fa- <laughs> maybe my favorite name for an instrument uh, in history. So they use that, uh, the hammer dulcimer comes in to play the sort of stringy sounds that you hear that come through, but then they pair it with uh, a very dubstep style music mm-hmm. uh, with some heavy bass and electronic synth and the wub 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 as, <laughs> as, uh, as I would say, uh, pairing that over top of that. So... It is a marriage of two very different styles of music, but for me, I think it works really well. Yeah, I was expect if you just told me on paper, hey, this movie's gonna have dubstep in it, I probably would have been upset. Uh, it just it just feels like such a relic of like of a certain era of pop of pop culture. Um, that it might it just felt I think maybe I would have thought it would date it or something, but I actually think it works very well again for this sort of thing where you have some especially some of these characters that have these ancient origins that have been you know have lived for thousands of years and then you also have uh and you have that sort of matched with your sort of more traditional superhero action and then sort of giving it this sort of edge this sort of modern edge but yeah the the dubstep i i like i said i would have thought i wouldn't have liked it but it actually does i think add a lot and uh, it actually mixes well as it kind of drifts in and out with the more traditional orchestral music and even as using some of those uh, those uh, dulcet tones of the, of the hammer dulcimer that we hear as, as well as some more like sort of maybe more ancient uh, music they bring in certainly for some of the flashbacks and, and, and things like that that we see but uh, yeah. yeah overall I, I really uh, I really did enjoy the music I thought uh, I thought it added uh, it added quite a bit to some of those scenes and even to some of the more poignant uh, it, it, it holds back in a lot of areas. I think there's I think there's some scenes even in, in that the House of Mystery where there's no music at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think and then but then it, it knows kind of when to flourish. I think in the end when we're we're sort of dealing with the the death of Jason Blood and uh, sort of the soft music that plays as as Etrigan's giving him this really quite touching for a for a, you know a, a demon of hell to, to give this lovely eulogy to. Uh, to his uh, to Jason Blood, but this sort of very soft uh, strings, maybe a little bit of uh, of keys at that point is uh, really really strong. Um, for for all those reasons, I, I gave music a, a pretty strong seven out of ten. Nice. I went uh, just a tick higher, and that might be because I actually appreciate dubstep as a music form, <laughs> uh, unashamedly, even if it is a dated uh, relic of that era. Uh, yeah, and it's interesting. Uh, we went, I went back and pulled up the Constantine NBC TV show theme, and they also use the hammer dulcimer. So it's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's not the exact same theme, uh, but it definitely, for whatever reason, uh, I guess it's maybe magic. If it's magic's involved, they're like, hey, let's let's use the hammer dulcimer because it gives you that magic. 
magical tone. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it, it's done very well. I think cinematically it works very well too. If you think of this, if you had been watching this in a movie theater uh, or if it was an actual full length movie, I think uh, the cinematic score itself works very well. Uh, I know that there, that was something that they tried to do very much in these movies, which was sort of make them feel like uh, larger scale movies, as we already mentioned, in the cinematic way that they animated things. So pairing uh, a, a more uh, cinematic score as well with that, I think, does very well, which is probably why we both gave it a pretty high score. Absolutely. And that will bring us to our final category of the day, Cal. And it is a packed one, as it is a, as we mentioned, this is a, a feature film so we have a lot of characters and a lot of uh, a lot of people that I think folks will uh, will know um, as as already briefly mentioned up top we do have Matt Ryan sort of reprising his role as Constantine as you mentioned from the live-action series um, he's this is one of those things where he, it's just born to play this character yeah like he's so good at it and that I think his his sort of his sort of take on the character is uh, very well translates into animation and they uh, they use uh, it's it's a very it feels very similar to the to a live action version that you might see him play on on his show or, or later on when he joins the cast of uh, Legends of Tomorrow so yeah uh, i think he's he's a fantastic uh, fantastic job and is is quite entertaining again a lot of a lot of snark and and quips and things for him to throw in and react to all these over the top and ridiculous uh, demons and things that he's dealing with Z, you all right? Yeah, as soon as you get off me. I should have known you were the reason I'm not back in London enjoying a pint. The house always did like you better. Odd trio for a road trip. To what do I owe the visit? The League thinks that a recent spike in homicides may have a magical cause. Yeah, he's, he's I mean, he's immensely talented, obviously. Uh, to get cast in, a, in your own television show as the lead, you mm -hmm. kind of have to have some talent. Uh, to then be recast in a sort of non-related uh, television show, at least at the time it was non-related, mm -hmm. uh, when they brought him into the Arrowverse, uh, to have him cast again as that same character speaks to the levels of appreciation for not only uh, the producers and the directors and the people that saw him as that character, but also the fans who appreciated that and who comic book fans, I love us, but we can be some of the most ruthless, brutal <laughs> people uh, you know, when it comes to if somebody doesn't uh, perform at a in a way that we expect them to, uh, we we definitely would not be calling for them to be to play that character again. So mm -hmm. his popularity as that character to this day, you still people dem see demanding him being cast if they ever did a Justice League Dark movie to fit into the the mm -hmm. worlds of DC. You know, uh, big screen movies. They people want Matt Ryan as Constantine. So. Uh, not only that, he's the triple threat too. Like he's he does Constantine here. Uh, he he does it for the movie here, and he's also a a well established stage actor as well. So mm -hmm. uh, the guy is immensely talented and is able to to do so well across multi versions of of different media. So uh, yeah, we could gush over him. I think he does an incredible <laughs> job here. Uh, I think some of his performance, uh, from my recollection, in live-action form, there's a little bit more, uh, it, it, you know, there's a bit more physical presence to it, and there's mm -hmm. a, he has to act disinterested because that's generally who the character is, but I feel like with this, it's a little bit more difficult since it's only vocal performances, but mm -hmm. I feel like he's able to, to sort of uh, execute 
and certainly come across in that same way. Uh, a little bit different, different in tone because he's the star of this versus where he was maybe in some of those other Arrowverse shows uh, when, when he followed up on the character. But mm-hmm. um, I think he does a great job. Agreed. Uh, he's sort of a co-stars here. We have Camilla Luddington as Zatanna. Folks might know her as the voice of the current stretch of Lara Croft Tomb Raider games. Oh, interesting. Uh, as well as I, she's been on uh, Grey's Anatomy, a show that debuted when I was like 10 and is still on. That's right. As as of recording time of this episode <laughs> in May of 2021, still on the air. Still on the and air. And I believe I think she's still on it. So she's uh interesting. Done a lot of uh, a lot of TV TV and uh, film work. I think she does a solid job. Like she's I, great. I, I think she's she's very very good. Um, and again, a lot of like we said, the sort of emotional heart of the movie is her there of her not necessarily being willing to take a full step into this sort of mystical superhero game and she's she's still sort of performing as a stage magician and mostly using her her magic that way and her sort of hesitance uh, and then again as we mentioned sort of her her back and forth with Constantine uh, throughout the movie where we kind of where it all kind of comes to a head at the end as they sort of begin to rekindle their their uh, their relationship is uh, I think she does a very good job. She has great chemistry with Matt Ryan. There's a lot of scenes that they have together. Obviously, there's some intimation that there's feelings that have happened for them, maybe a past between the two of them. So uh, for them to be sort of reunited in this movie uh, and, and sort of having this past that we don't know much about, a lot of times uh, that that chemistry, if it's not if it's not there, that that loses. Uh, it's sort of luster and believability at that point. It's like, how could these people have a past? They have no chemistry together. So uh, for her her performance to come off very genuine, she's very emotional. She comes across that way. Uh, I think she, she does, did an excellent job as well. Batman asked me to be in the Justice League. And you're considering it? I visited their headquarters a few days ago. It's interesting. And like you said, maybe it's time to make a difference. <laughs> Listening to me now. Uh oh. They want you too. <laughs> Good one, Z. Do right, they do. You have got to be bloody kidding. No way. Batsy would go mental. He was the one who asked. And I told him that's what you'd say. Be safe, John. Maybe I've been a bit rash. Could you tell me more over a drink? We could uh, rechristen the house, as it were. A drink? Yeah, a drink. Don't think this is going to turn into some sort of Manchester weekend. Get that out of your head. We could have a tree whittle Tuesday. <laughs> no, definitely not. Let's mark that as a maybe. Also in the cast, we have uh, Ray Chase as uh, Jason Blood slash Etrigan. Uh, I love Etrigan in this. He's like, great. He's, first of all, this is something they chose not to do. Uh, for better or worse, they chose not to do this in the in the, the proper DCAU. 
but he speaks in rhyme, which is a classic, I mean, from the original Jack Kirby comics all the way through to, I think, most of his present-day comics. He is he, the, the demon Etrigan, everything he says is a rhyme. Perfect. He speaks in poetry. I and love it. It's such a weird, quirky thing, and it's 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 something that probably could have only come from the mind of Jack Kirby. It's like it's a relic of its time. Yeah, and it's it's but it's really fun, and it, I think it gives rather than him just being this big hulking monster that comes out when it's time for a fight, the idea of them sort of having these unique personalities where Jason Blood is kind of sort of uh you know he's sort of seen it all and he's sort of very dry and and sort of underwhelmed and and very sort of uh low key for most of his performances but uh get the, the giving the same actor that chance to do that sort of understated more sarcastic and sardonic wit type of character and get to also play this goofy over the top rhyming demon who loves to fight <laughs> is is quite a bit of fun gone gone the form of man Rise the demon Etrigan! So Constantine calls once more, just like a greedy wanton. Save the bloody rhymes and top that git! Killjoy. Agreed, yeah, it's really, really good. Uh, and and having had other uh, opportunities to hear other demon Etrigan performances, I think this is fine. Uh, he is British in this, mm-hmm. uh, which is a little bit different, but that's that's okay um i i I think that it it works out well i think that it's a great performance on both ends and there's a little bit of emotion that has to come at the end as you mentioned in that final scene as he's uh, delivering the eulogy for jason blood uh so there is a a vocal effect that they put on him as the demon uh but it's not distracting and i don't think diminishes from the actual performance itself agreed and uh, sort of rounding out our our main group of heroes for this piece we do have jason omara as Batman, who we've previously talked about, as he also voiced the character on Young Justice and voices him in all of these uh, DC animated movie verse uh, films. He's fine. I don't I don't dislike his performance as Batman, but there's not a lot. And again, he like we said, he's sort of the man on the street in this one, sort of just being sarcastic and reacting to all of this over-the-top stuff. I don't think he does, like, a particularly great job. I don't think he's bad, though. So it's... I think he's fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't love it. It's uh, it's always hard, as we've talked about in our other Elseworlds tales, uh, to compare when you have the standard that was set by Kevin Conroy for Batman. It's really hard to have a Batman voice that compares to that. However... <laughs> There have been other bat people that have played Batman that I've said, okay, this is pretty good. This is okay. I would not quantify this performance for Mr. Omara as good. It's very understated and wooden, and I get some of it is that Batman is supposed to be a colder, emotionless character, but it's very difficult, I feel like, in this, uh, in this especially in this movie when you have such great acting from your main uh main couple of characters with zatanna and Mm -hmm. and constantine where you come to him and it just feels very wooden uh so i didn't i didn't love it i'll just say that that's fair um and again it's maybe we and again we we will probably come back and review uh, one or two more of these before before the show ends, I hope, so yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, so uh, this might be what we're reviewing by the time we right, get to the end of right, the episode. Exactly. Right, exactly. Uh, we're DC gonna run movie. out of. Uh, <laughs> it's gonna be this and Zeta. That's right. Uh, <laughs> 
but no, we'll uh, we'll definitely cover more of it down the line, and certainly probably cover more Young Justice as well. So he'll have a, I'm sure he'll have plenty of chances to uh, redeem himself, For sure. uh, so to speak. But uh, yeah, I, I I would kind of agree with that. I don't. I think it's also something where you take a this version of Batman. I don't I don't feel like it's particularly unique in the pantheon of animated Batman. For like, sure, it's not. Again, I don't think it's bad. It's just it's it's garden variety Batman. It's a big bowl of okay. Right. It's uh. It's absolutely like. But comparing it to something like you know Diedrich Bader in in the Brave and the Bold, which is a very specific style of Batman that's meant to be a little bit more over the top and and more of a a specific version from a specific era of comics where this sort of just feels like okay they got a you know a, a man with a stern voice to uh, to voice Batman and it's. Like I said, I think it's fine. I don't think it's bad. I just it doesn't it doesn't do a ton for me either. Um, uh, speaking of uh, some other notable actors, uh, from uh, folks might know him from uh, Just Shoot Me or playing the dad on Veronica Mars, we have uh, Enrico Calentino as Felix Faust, who's very over the top and and goofy. Which honestly, I think at that point in the movie, it you needed a little bit of levity. So yeah, I, I was it brightens things that. up and makes it not so serious. I was okay with it. It was very Saturday morning cartoon, but it was fine. Yeah, and uh, I'll go a little bit rapid fire through some of these other uh, these other names. We have a uh, Roger Cross voicing both the John Stewart Green Lantern briefly, as well as Swamp Thing. Uh, we have he was on Twenty Four. <laughs> that's correct. Uh, we have Rosario Dawson, who uh, folks would know from things like Luke Cage and, and Daredevil and plenty of other uh, movie and televisions. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, that's correct. She's uh, Ahsoka. She's Ahsoka in The Mandalorian um, now. So, yeah, lots lots of uh, stuff folks would know her from. As Wonder Woman, briefly, we have uh, Nicholas Turturro, who folks might know from the Adam Sandler version of The Longest Yard or the 90s cop drama NYPD Blue, uh, playing Dead Man, who okay. is... He's very, again, much mostly there to be, I think, a little bit of cons- uh, comic relief. We online? Great. Sorry about the Batmobile. I hope your insurance was paid up. <laughs> what, is there even a policy for something like that? If you would think his name's Boston, he'd do a Boston accent, but it's much more of a New York, like... Yeah. Which, again, maybe why play against type? He was on NYPD Blue for, sure, yeah, for all those years. Sure, yeah, that makes sense. Good, good point. Maybe, uh, but yeah, you would think with uh, with with a name like Boston that he might have a little bit more of a, a Massachusetts or a New Hampshire uh, sure. type accent, a New England accent, if, as it were. But uh, yeah, I think he's fine. We also have a little tiny bit of uh, Jerry O'Connell as, uh, as Superman. Um, but uh, yeah, as, as we're wrapping up some of our big names here, we have... Jer- Jeremy Davies as uh, Richie, who he's, as we said, for most of the movie, he's kind of the sickly guy with a with a with a southern accent, and then later he has the the more villainous turn as we find out he's been in league with uh, with this destiny the whole time. Uh, f- folks might know Mr. Davies as uh, actually playing a version of John D slash Doctor Destiny in the arrowverse elseworlds uh, crossover event that introduced batwoman and uh, sort of dealt as the uh, the precursor to the big crisis event the following year uh, interesting so funny that uh, the, that he would have that uh, that role a couple <laughs> years later after uh, after starring in this and then uh, playing the voice of our, our as it turns out our main villain uh, would be one alfred molina voicing destiny um 
which I I I love Alfred Molina. I think he's a tremendous actor. Obviously, Boogie Nights, Frida, Spider Man, yep. uh, probably most famously to people that would listen to this podcast. Old Doc uh, Ock himself, who might be back for the next one. That's as what it they turns said. out, I think he just said it. Like I don't even right. think it's a secret. He's <laughs> like, yeah, I'm in it. It was like one of those. <laughs> He's like, I don't care. What are they going to do to me? It wasn't one of those press releases where it's like X actor set expresses interest in being in this movie. And no, like, I yeah, no kidding. No kidding. <laughs> oh, I also would like to be in this movie. I would movie. like a million dollars to work for three days. Right. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, I think I think it's I think it's pretty. I think he's literally said he's in it. So, uh, but anyway, right. yes, Doc Ock himself, Alfred Molina as Destiny. So we get a tiny little bit of him in a flashback, as we said, when we're getting sort of Etrigan and, and Jason Blood's origins. And then he comes back to be our, our big villain at the end. But the thing that I think hurts it is they put a lot of effects on his voice, mm-hmm. um, which I get it. Like you're trying to, he's supposed to be this, this, you know, terrible demonic wizard character. Um, so you're trying to make him sound like all powerful or whatever, but he's such a good actor. You can barely tell it's him. 500 years I've waited. Years I've planned. Really? I guess 500 must be the new 300. What say we share your beauty secrets over a pine day? Eh? A god does not prattle with mortals. Like, yeah. Like, it almost seems like why would you bring in an actor of that caliber and then put that much of a vocal effect on his voice? I understand, again, wanting to do something to give him that that powerful feel but it's so like i thought it was just so processed and and warped that's like you can barely if if i had not looked up the right. voice actor i probably wouldn't have recognized his voice until i was looking at it in the imdb credits later so yeah that's fair i see that i, I think some of it though we've uh we've certainly in the last couple of weeks ironically in the month of magic talk a lot about the sound design and mm-hmm. choices in sound design and pros and cons and putting voice effects on people and why that works and why it doesn't always work um i think i think in this case uh i didn't have as much of a problem with it sometimes i think that the the performance itself uh is just slightly enhanced and i can't imagine having alfred molina's voice come out of that character i see what you're <laughs> saying like why not just cast joe Schmo then but right. maybe it was just the desire to have the name recognition maybe it was the desire uh, to have the performance itself and then uh, because there is something to voice acting right oh yeah absolutely. we've definitely talked about that so maybe they just uh, maybe they wanted to he wanted to try it out his agent wanted to get him a, an acting a voice acting role I don't know but uh, I didn't have as much a problem with it but I can see exactly what you're saying yeah and I, I want to make it clear I, I didn't I didn't hate his like I think he still has room to give a performance I think especially at the end there when uh, he has that uh, that first the the encounter with Swamp Thing, and then uh, when he is uh, dealing with Constantine and is sort of uh, Constantine sort of just berating him and making fun of him, and he's sort of doing this very over the top supervillain di- dialogue in response. I think I think he does a, a good job of kind of hamming it up in the role. It's just it's just it was just fascinating to me that they they put that much of an effect on it, but. Overall, I still think it's a, a very strong voice cast, uh, top to bottom. Like I said, I think uh, maybe Batman heard it a tiny bit, but I still I still gave it a very strong 8 out of 10. Nice. 
Uh, ironically, I think I dislike Batman a little bit more than you, and uh, I gave it a stronger score. I gave it a 9 out of 10. <laughs> uh, I think that uh, Matt Ryan's uh, Constantine really carries this. His interaction with Zatanna is very strong. There's a lot of uh, poignant, intimate moments between the two of them and conversation that they have. Uh, and their chemistry works really well, really strong. So I, I, I felt it was worth uh, giving it uh, a near-perfect score. Batman bringing it down just a, sec- a, a hair. There you go. And that will begin to bring us to our final scores here, Cal. Tallying everything up, I have a, a very strong and respectable 31 out of 40. Nice. And I am just a tick higher than you. Uh, I went a 32 out of 40. Well, very good. Uh, as as we do, we like to talk about rewatchability. Um, I think this is a good, like we said, a, a magic Justice League characters 101 film, uh, especially if you know, there's been sort of an oft-rumored Guillermo del Toro live-action Justice League Dark in the works for, like Decades. most DC live-action <laughs> projects of the last decade, it's been in the works for probably... Uh, since Barack Obama was still yep. in his first term. Yep. Uh, but that, so perhaps one day we'll get that on screen or perhaps there'll be an HBO Max series or something. And uh, if, if that's the case, I think, and you just want to know a little bit more about the characters that will probably be featured in that, I think this is a this is probably a good way to look at it. I don't, as far, and again, maybe it's not fair to say, because like we said, we didn't watch all... Uh, other uh you know 10 or 12 other movies to see how how important (laughs) this is like we said these characters do come back constantine plays a pretty big role in the finale of this series i know that so i think you can say that even if you're just looking at it as as a part of this dc movie universe these characters come back and at least some of them do in in pretty important ways so i would give this a thumbs up for for rewatchability in that case yeah i think it's good uh it's harder when we when we judge this based on because it's a movie it's a full-length movie it's a little bit more of an investment than we do Mm -hmm. when we talk about our 22 minute or 44 minute cartoons that we review on a on a typical basis um but yeah i think as far as a recommendation would be concerned i think this is good again maybe not for younger viewers because of the violence and the language and stuff like that uh, but for you know for thir- PG thirteen and up, I would say even though it's rated R technically, I'd say PG thirteen and up. It's a it's a solid introduction to these characters, especially if you're looking to kind of increase your depth of knowledge. Everybody knows Batman, everybody knows Superman, everybody mm-hmm. knows Wonder Woman. Uh, but if you're looking to kind of get into that deeper roster. Uh, so that inevitably, hopefully, one day DC gets its act, to- act together <laughs> and puts these characters together in line live form on the big screen. Um, you know, then this is a good introduction to that. It's a good introduction to this. Some of these other lesser known characters. Uh, so and and the performances are are done really well. It's a lot of fun, and there's some great visuals and music that goes along with it. So I'd say yes, it gets a gets a thumbs up for a recommendation for me. Uh, I don't know how many times I'll be revisiting it to actually rewatch, but I definitely give it a recommendation for sure. Agreed. Well, that will begin to wrap us up here this week, Cal. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening, whether you do that on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, on uh, any of those other podcasting apps, uh, iHeartRadio, or uh, whether you uh, watch us on the uh, on the PodTower YouTube channel. Uh, which, of course, you can find us along with uh, the folks from Tim Talk, Chris and Cameron, as well as the the Watchtower Database Boys uh, put up archives of their live streaming 
uh, where they do deep dives into various DCAU properties. So lots of good content up there. Go ahead. Even if you're not a big YouTube podcaster uh, listener, we would appreciate if you went up there and just click that little subscribe button. Uh, helps us and helps uh, those guys out as well. So we appreciate that. Cal, as we have arrived at the zenith, the end point, the end game, if you will, of, uh, of Magic May, we must look forward to next week and a new month where we will be returning to the proper and central DC animated universe that we cover most other weeks. Back to the sunny skies of the Midwest, question mark, uh, <laughs> of the DC animated universe, we will be returning to Dakota with another month of static shock reviews, and we are kicking it off with uh, a nice, old, good old-fashioned double feature pair of episodes from season one beginning to focus more on that sinister puppet master edwin alba as we will be reviewing both the new kid and junior next week cannot wait for that it's gonna be awesome excited to talk some more static absolutely always exciting to go back there and uh, discover one that maybe we didn't have as much nostalgia for uh, from our childhood but still uh, always find things to enjoy static so looking forward to that we'll be doing that next week we hope you come back but until then i'm liam and i'm cal and we'll be back next week with another episode of the dcau review bye bye